Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Back here within the comfy confines of our posh, still relatively new studios, courtesy of Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. I am Steve Dates. He's Totters, and he is Aaron McIntyre. You are all of you. And I got to see a couple hundred of you uh, this weekend. I mean, what an incredible... Speaking of posh, how's the red carpet, dude? I mean, it was just just incredible. I mean, um, Saturday... And first of all, uh, shout out to the folks over at uh, at Stand Up Michigan who put this thing on. Uh, MGR Theaters there in uh, suburban Detroit, in Troy. Uh, everybody did a first class job. Um, they, you could tell, they're not used to having lines on a Saturday afternoon in March out the door. You know, particularly in this era of digital tickets, you know, it's not like it used to be when a big movie would release. You might see stuff like that right on opening weekend, but with digital tickets and everything else, you don't see that very often. And so um, they all did, though, a fantastic job. I, I think I took a picture with absolutely every single person there, which was very cool. Uh, a lot of kind words for both of you as well. I should pass those along, too. And, uh, and then to sit in a full theater for the first time ever. Um. It just made everything it took to get here, all the battles, the struggles we had to, we had to endure, the battles we had to fight uh, to get this movie made, all of it went away Saturday, like it never happened. And to sit in that theater and to hear the audience's response, uh, I'm getting a lot of emails with reviews from people in the audience. Um, we'll share some of those tomorrow for Pop Culture Tuesday. I'm sharing some of them on uh, social media, uh, on Twitter, uh, at Steve Day Show. By the way, big day for Nefarious on Twitter. Uh, Nefarious is taking over Twitter worldwide today. Nefarious is doing a worldwide takeover of Twitter today at hashtag Nefarious Movie. Hashtag Nefarious Movie if you want to help us with that. It's one of our, I told you, our big marketing push would get underway with the release of this trailer. Well, this is part of it. We just did a, um, we're, we're doing a, a worldwide takeover of Twitter today uh, with the new trailer and more at Hashtag Nefarious Movie. But, um, I, I mean, just to hear people react in the way that they did, it, uh, it was one of the best days of my entire career. Arguably the best. And um, it was emotional, uh, for sure. Um, I got up for the Q&A at the end of the film, and there was an impromptu standing ovation for the movie without being asked. That was, that was something. And uh, um, everybody that worked on this, uh, starting with uh, our writers uh, and directors, Carrie and Chuck, uh, their producer assistant, Chris, who does the nuts and bolts for them, our two main actors, uh, Sean Patrick Flannery. I mean, the amount of people who told me that was one of the best acting performances they have ever seen afterwards. Because it is. And, uh, and Jordan Belfi is, is, is no slouch in the other major role there. And everybody else in the entire cast, the, the skeleton crew we had to shoot this movie with, guys. Remember, we lost about half of our crew to a fake strike in a right-to-work state. And um, we had a guy shoot a movie, a full-length motion picture that had never done it before. But you wouldn't know it if you saw this movie. I mean, he did an incredible job. Everybody did an absolutely incredible job. And under a lot of pressure, we were running out of money because we had a six, we had a, a like an eight-week COVID delay already. Uh, 
So we're running out of money. We had already had to come up with another million to hold our sets and everything in place. Remember all that in the summer of 2021? So we're running out of money. We're running out of time. At any point, we think they may get one of these fake federal judges that likes to put our people in definite detention forever to put an injunction against the film, which we would probably beat. But again, that's money and time we didn't have, right? So we're race, literally, we are racing against the clock to get this movie done. And for the, for the finished product to be as impactful as it is, and the amount of people emailing me, I, I mean, I'm still talking to my wife about it. My husband is still talking to me about it. We went out to dinner afterwards, and we're all talking about it. Um, it's very clear we have something very, very impactful here. And now it, it's just a matter of how many people know that we have it. And that's the battle. And that's why we're doing things like a worldwide takeover of Twitter today at hashtag nefarious movie. So, um, Thanks again uh, to everybody that came, that made it an incredible event, put it on, Ron and the whole team at Stand Up Michigan, first class all the way. And, um, and, and you guys have raised the bar. I mean, we're going to be, we're working with some major media outlets here in about a month to do about a dozen, if not more of these around the country to, to generate, you know, groundswell for the movie, word of mouth groundswell for the movie. You guys raised the bar on what will be expected uh, based on the event that happened on Saturday. So cannot thank you enough. It was very, very moving to me on an individual level. And uh, um, thank you. Thank you very much to everybody that made that happen. All right. Today on the show, bottom of the hour, you've heard me talk about the fact we are in an epistemological free fall in the West right now. That is particularly true where the younger generations are are concerned. Apologist Alex McFarland, that's what he does. His worldview of young adults, we'll talk to him at the bottom of the hour about that. Next hour, uh, it'll be your turn to ask me anything, questions from Facebook coming our way in the next hour of the program, so we look forward to those. But let us begin, as we always do with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by bailout season. Two very large banks with hundreds of billions of dollars in assets failed since we last spoke after a couple old-fashioned bank runs, Silicon Valley Bank in California and Signature Bank in New York. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation attempted to auction off both banks but were unable to do so over the weekend. Instead, the Federal Reserve, along with the Treasury Department, changed the rules and promised all uninsured depositors at the two banks will be made whole by the end of the day today. Instead of taxpayers funding the bailout, the banking industry as a whole is going to do that. At least that's how they're selling it. Moving on, in the wake of former CDC Director Robert Redfield's testimony to Congress last week saying the origins of the pandemic came from a lab, Dr. Anthony Fauci went on CNN to say even if it was a lab leak, the virus still occurred naturally. A lab leak could be that someone was out in the wild, maybe looking for different types of viruses in bats, got infected, went into a lab, and was being studied in the lab, and then it came out of the lab. But if that's the definition of a lab leak, Jim, then that still is a natural occurrence. If you heard that level of duplicity and logical gymnastics and think, hey, this guy's a sociopath who needs to be locked up, well, Fauci has some words for you, too. Well, I mean, there's no response to that craziness, Jim. I mean, prosecute me for what? What what are they talking about? (laughs) I mean, I wish I could figure out what the heck they were talking about. I think... They're just going off the deep end. That's the answer to your first question. It doesn't make any sense 
to say something like that, and it actually is irresponsible. The U.S. House voted 419 to nothing late last week on a bill proposed by Senator Josh Hawley that requires the Director of National Intelligence to declassify all information about the origins of COVID. The bill now heads to Joe Biden's desk. Grand old poopy update. Here's Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin on CNN last week fielding a town hall question from a girl who thinks she's a dude. Your transgender model policies require that students play on the sports teams and use the restrooms that correspond with their sex assigned at birth. Look at me. I am a transgender man. Do you really think that the girls in my high school would feel comfortable sharing a restroom with me? Yep. So first of all, Nico, thank you for again asking the question, being here tonight and uh, engaging in this important discussion. I believe first, when parents are engaged with their children, then you can make good decisions together. And I met your dad and I'm glad that you're both here together. That's really, really important. I also think that there are lots of students involved in this decision. And what's, what's most important is that we try very hard to accommodate students. That's why I have said many, many times, we just need extra bathrooms in schools. We need gender-neutral bathrooms, and so people can use a bathroom that they, in fact, are comfortable with. Elsewhere across the GOP cringe-verse. I'm not about to let Don Lemon or anyone tell me I'm not in my prime. I'm in my prime because I don't need Google to tell me. I think I'm in my prime because I've never felt better. I'm a wife, I'm a mom, and I'm a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. I'm the first... That's a, well, that's something put out by the National Republican Congressional Committee. Former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was at South by Southwest, where she casually called for Fox News to be banned from the White House. The piece here that is very difficult and tricky that I think is not getting enough attention is Fox News still has an enormous viewership. That's right. I don't know if that's going to change. Their business not model is not getting Democrats on their air. So I understand and completely relate to Democrats who are saying we should ban it. We shouldn't appear on it. They don't care. I'm not sure they care. Why would they care? So the question is not just what do we call them? Sure, we should decide that. But also, what are we going to do about the fact that they still have an enormous viewership consuming a huge swath of the country. Also at South by Southwest, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm says, It is an existential threat. Do you care about climate change? Do you care about the future for you, for your children? Do you want to know how we can solve it through cool technology? She also said China is a model to follow. But I think China has done, um, has been very sensitive and has actually invested a lot in their solutions uh, to achieve their goals. So we're, we're hopeful that, you know, we can all learn from what China is doing, but the amount of money that they're investing in clean energy is actually, you know, uh, encouraging. Uh, as we say, inshallah, God willing, hopefully. These in completely unrelated news, global warming princess Greta Thunberg deleted a tweet from over the weekend that she sent almost five years ago, where she claimed the earth was going to end in five years. Drag star RuPaul says the quiet part out loud. He's talking about a new bill in Tennessee that restricts children's access to drag shows. Drag queens are the Marines of the queer movement. Don't get it twisted and don't be distracted. Register to vote so we can get these stunt queens out of office and put some smart people with real solutions into government. Speaking to an Argentinian newspaper, Pope Francis said, quote, gender ideology today is one of the most dangerous ideological colonizations. Colin Kaepernick's latest grift is putting his white adoptive parents on blast. 
who's spreading a message of empowerment in his new graphic novel, Change the Game. It's his true high school coming-of-age story, his journey embracing his blackness, despite resistance from many, including his white adoptive parents. I know my parents love me, but there were still very problematic things that I went through. I think it was important to show that, no, this can happen in your own home, and how we move forward collectively while addressing the racism that is being perpetuated. And finally, what happens when Protestant denominations order chicken wings? Here's Pastor Keith Foskey. Welcome to Wings R Us. My name is Chad. I'll be your server. Can I get you guys a copy of our wine list? Sir, I'll have you know we're a group of Christians, so there won't be any alcohol at this table tonight. That's right. But hey, when the Baptist isn't looking, I need you to turn this glass of water into a glass of bourbon, huh? Superior theology requires a superior beverage. All right, well, let's just get your food order. Of course, our specialty is wings, so what will everyone be having? I like my wings like I like my sermons. Filled with fire and brimstone. Bring me them ghost peppers. Are you sure those are really, really hot? Most people can't stand them. Listen, if I can handle Steven Anderson's sermons, I can handle your wings. That guy is fire. Am I right? By the way, before I forget, I want to give you this gospel tract. Well, thank you. Most, most people just leave this with their tip. That's just the thing. I won't be leaving a tip. Well, there's a big surprise. It's very important to me that the wings be completely submerged in the sauce. I don't want any part that's not covered in sauce. It's not a real wing unless it's completely immersed. Listen, don't put my wings in the sauce. I want you to bring the sauce on the side. I'll pour it on myself. Yes, I'd like my wings covered in sweet and hot sauce. It's a true via media of flavors, and that's the way I like it. I'd like beer-battered wings, but you can hold the wings and hold the batter. So just... Beer, then? That's my boy. Yes, I have a very special way that I want my wings prepared. I, I brought a chart with me. It's, it's color-coded, and it gives the, the, the seven different steps that I want my wings made in here. You can just hand this to the chef. I'd like boneless wings, please. Uh, I actually don't think we have boneless wings on the menu. Are you talking about our chicken nuggets? Listen, man, if you love Jesus, you're going to call chicken nuggets boneless wings. I want to try your cauliflower wings. Those don't have any meat in them. They're very progressive. And if you would, bring me my sauce in a bottle. I want to sprinkle it on myself. And that's what happened while we were away. Well, after watching that montage or the montage any other day, you might think... Time to get prepped. Indeed, go to our friends at My Patriot Supply. Stock up on their popular three-month emergency food kit. And when you do, you'll also get $200 worth of survival gear as a free bonus. $200 worth of survival gear as a free bonus as well. And these emergency food kits come with breakfast, lunch, and dinner, even drinks and snacks. The full complement of the 2,000-plus calories that you need each and every day. As we let's go, Brandon, literally everything. The banks will now be the latest to die suddenly, apparently. Uh, go to MyPatriotSupply.com and enjoy free shipping when you do. They'll ship it out to you for free. These food kits stay good for well over 20 years with proper storage at MyPatriotSupply.com. Again, MyPatriotSupply.com. You can... You can, you can, you can share a country... With literally nothing in Aaron's montage. And and consider we're not we're not cherry picking the fringes of the spirit of the age here. Right? I mean we're not hanging out in Reddit forums. Aaron's not trolling Vox and Mother Jones 
for crazy lib stories. Let's just let's just run down the list, shall we? Yeah. Okay. Um, large woke banks that are trading on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. This isn't like the BLM Brotherhood got together and started a credit union in New York, okay? To keep it real, yo. These are large, some of the largest corporations in the country, if not the world. Um, I know it's become a voice for the fringe, but that is the point that I'm making. That actually makes my point. Next clip, that's from CNN. The guy hosting the clip was their White House, um, their, their chief White House reporter under the previous president. The guy he's talking to is essentially the guy the previous president made the president. Then you have the governor of Virginia out there saying, yeah, let's just build bathrooms for crazies. And just completely buckling. Because he was never a true believer. I told you that four years ago or three years ago. He just was smart enough to grab the surfboard. He saw which way the wind was blowing and wrote it. And then in the end, he's a squealer. Not a shock. I give him credit for at least being willing to grab the surfboard. And he's done some decent things as governor of Virginia. I give him credit for that. But if you think the guy who hired is like his communications director, someone who has pronouns in their bio, was, was, was going to Joan of Arc this thing. That's a no. That's a no. Not, not happening. Jen Psaki was the face of the White House. The White House spokesperson. She was the face of the most powerful office in the world for a couple of years. Jennifer Granholm is a former member of Congress and now a high-ranking cabinet official. Again, I'm, we're, way, we're on the fringes here. I mean, we're just completely attempting to just smear an entire line of political thought in America by picking out the absolute worst of their worst and making our points, right? We're just, that's what we're doing. No, they're just showing us their A-listers. Um, can you watch... A program without literally live sporting event, news show, whether we're covering them, talking about them, promoting them. Can you listen to a podcast that doesn't include some reference to drag queens today? Is it possible? Anywhere, pro or con. I mean, they're as mainstream as it gets. Even when RuPaul is saying, where we're the ones that come in and groom the kids. Uh, that, that's what he means. We're the ones that come in and groom the kids. Pedal groomers should be executed, by the way. After a fair trial, of course. I, I mean, Colin Kaepernick has, was made the face of Nike. One of the largest, most prominent corporations in the world. And now he's just openly showing you he's a piece of human debris. This isn't the fringe. 
<laughs> how I wish it were. There's not a, there's not even a Joy Reid clip. This isn't the fringe. I mean, Aaron didn't even include Jane Fonda, who's been a household name in America for what sixty years, our whole lives. Yeah, going on national television and saying to an audience of five to eight million women that if you believe that that's a human life in the womb, you ought to be murdered. Didn't even throw that in. That happened on Friday. It's not the fringe. It should be, but it isn't. These are all either mainstream figures or mainstream outlets. And sandwiched in them, you have Glenn Youngkin, who is the perfect symbol for the Republican Party in America as an instrument to do any good against any of this whatsoever. This insanity, this demonic insanity has gone mainstream. One of the reasons companies like Vox are collapsing is because the New York Times is doing their content now but better with more polish, more professionalism, and on a much larger platform. So there's really no need for them. Right? Like, like let's say... Let, let's, let's say Fox was run by, well, somebody like Glenn Beck, as opposed to Paul Ryan. Okay? It'd be really hard for businesses like The Blaze to actually exist in that model. You know what I'm saying? Because... Yeah. They'd, they'd suck up all the oxygen. Mm-hmm. The stuff that we talk about that you really want to hear about, they're already doing it, but on a platform of much greater magnitude than what we have. So what? Where, where's the space for somebody like us? There isn't one, really. At least not to be as successful as we have been as a company. But they're not doing that. So there's all kinds of space to the right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There isn't a lot of space to the left anymore. This is all mainstream now. And, and this is the stuff that all of your neighbors and family members are consuming when they consume these platforms and these individuals and their content. This is what they're consuming. Remember like when Young Turks had like a massive YouTube audience? Yeah, they're they're not they're a nothing burger now. They're nothing. Why? What's the guy's name? Starts with a C. Sec Unger is that the name? Chink. Chink Unger. Okay, dude's not that good at this. He's just crazy. But he's not really a good broadcaster. Now, like the people who are like really good at this are going to say the stuff Chink Unger was saying. So why do I need that uh, ham and egger? You know what I'm saying? I can can get it now from the A-list talent. Because it's all mainstream now. You cannot share a country with any of this. Let alone all of it at once. Which brings us to what is currently happening in the financial sector. Because it may seem like these are separate issues. They're not. 
like toy soldiers. One by one, you are watching all of our idols fall. All of them. It is very clear, very obvious. She said to read and understand the signs of the times. It is very obvious that you are watching a spiritual pruning take place within the West, of which America is the most prominent country. Very obvious now. What is not obvious is whether that is occurring in preparation for judgment or revival. That is what's not obvious. But it will be one of those outcomes, you know, that whole revival or bust thing. And there will be nothing in between. Nothing. There will be nothing in between. There is, there is no in between with all the stuff that Aaron just ran down. And all the, the mainstream aspects of thought that I just confirmed for you have been overcome with this. There is no in between on any of this. There's, there's no ground to stake out. Nothing. You're, you, we are beyond a zero-sum game. We're just at a zero now. It's just a zero. This isn't a country to save. Whatever this country has become must be defeated. I don't want to save any of this. None of it. I want to crush every morsel of it. All has to be defeated. None of it can be saved. None of it, not, not nothing in his montage, except the parody at the end is even close to salvageable. And I'm not even sure that the parody at the end is as, as cheeky as it is. That's salvageable because the truth of the matter is we do on team. No, apparently that claims to know what time it is. We do have a lot stronger thoughts about bourbon cigars styles and preferences than we do the literal sulfur and ash falling out of the sky. It's something else when the most encouraging thing on a montage is Pope Francis dropping some orthodoxy. You right, know? right. But then you, but then you ask, okay, yeah, cool. And so what then? So what? Exactly. See, I say, see, I, I just don't believe you believe stuff like that. I, I just don't Todd. I'm sorry. I think he just throws stuff out there like that to just, Make it look like he hasn't completely given himself and his office over to the spirit of the age. Because how can you say those things and be the most prominent face and voice of Christianity on planet Earth, whether you're Catholic or not, and do nothing about it? If he believes this, why aren't the why weren't there ten thousand excommunications by nine a.m. here on a Monday? Do you know Greenwich Mean Time? Ten thousand excommunications. Yeah, of course, correct. Because he, so he doesn't mean it then. Because you know a tree by its fruit. I think every now and then someone just says, you know what, man, we got to dial it back and at least perpetrate. So let's throw this out there. And then do nothing. Notice, notice all those lapsed Catholics in the, in the secular media. They're not losing their minds over his comments. Right. They've got nothing. To, now, four or five years ago, they would have. They'd have lost their minds. But now they're like, we see the dog whistle. We know, how you, we, we know the game. We know what you're playing. We know what team you're on, and you're on ours. We know. So we're not even gonna we're not even gonna front. We don't even care what you're. We know what you're doing. You got to tap the poor. You got to you got to tap the, the you got to tap those Urzans, the Catholic, the actual Catholics. Pat them on the head every now and then. Get them to pipe down. And then we'll get back to the virtue signaling here tomorrow. With more visits at the Vatican from Greta.
and her prophecies that never happen. Am I wrong? No. Sadly, I'm not. One by one, we have watched all of our idols. Elections will save us. Now we don't even trust that they'll count our votes. Technology will save us, except when they, we, they use it to, to monitor and silence us. Our modern medical medicine marvel will save us, except when it um, is still, I'm still getting emails from people who can't get kidney transplants if they won't take a poisonous experiment. Our free speech in media, nope. Academia and our, our envy of the world education, no, 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 no. All, all have fallen. And now you're watching the same thing happen to our biggest idol of them all. Our prosperity. You're watching this now. Stagflation, a word we haven't heard since the Great Depression, making a comeback here today. It is very clear now, and you just have to be willfully, spiritually blind to not see it. You are watching the West be spiritually prepped. Most prominently, this country. Because it really is the West. It has been for the last two centuries. And the only question is, prepped for what? Are we getting prepped for Petra? It's going down. We're about to take our place in the history books. So God is preparing his people to flee when they see the abomination of desolation. Or for revival. But there is no question it will be one or the other. proud last year to add Preborn as one of our partners here on the Steve Day Show here on Blaze TV Radio and, pa- and uh, Podcast. Preborn understands that the pro-life fight is more than just a political battle. It is that, but it is more than that. Uh, it is also a ministry. And uh, the secret sauce is they love them both, both the mother and the child. And they understand uh, truth and love. A lot of our churches say they do, but really it's just, you know, a hippy-dippy message. No, they, they will confront moms. Now, they'll do it delicately, but you bet it's a confrontation to say to that mom, hey, are you sure if you're going to go through with an abortion, are you sure you know whether or not that's a real person you're carrying or not? And so that ultrasound, which they provide for free, so they hear that heartbeat. And about 80% of the time over the years they have found in the 16 years they've been doing this, that about 80% of the time when a mom hears the heartbeat, her conscience is convicted to not go through it. And that's tremendous. As a kid born to a 15-year-old mom whose mom considered whether to abort him, that is obviously a big step. But I can also tell you, growing up with a 15-year-old mom, not easy. All right. And so they're there for that mom in crisis and the baby after the baby is born too. Uh, postnatal care, uh, everything from formula to car seats to counseling. And all of that is free of charge as well, provided they get support from people like us. So if you want to be the next person to step in so, so that preborn can step up, go to preborn.com slash Steve, preborn.com slash Steve. Donate now at preborn.com slash Steve or on your mobile phone. Dial pound 250 with the keyword baby. Pound 250 with the keyword baby. 
We have talked on this show a lot here so far this year about the epistemological crisis that we are in in the West. What is true? Do we even want to know what is or isn't true? Are beliefs true or are things, do I believe things because they're true? Um, Worldview has been at the center of Alex McFarland's ministry, so much so that we're going to talk to him today as he is actually presiding over a worldview class, which is very, very cool. Uh, And you can check out uh, his latest book, uh, 100 Bible Questions and Answers, Inspiring Truths, Historical Facts, Practical Insights. Go to his website as well, Alex McFarland, MC Farland, uh, alexmcfarland.com. Alex, it's been several years. Brother, how you been? It's good to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. It's great to be back. I I appreciate you so. I remember having the privilege of reading your very first book. And so to reconnect is really great. I'm so thrilled at how the Lord has been using you. Tell us about the class that you are presiding over today. Well, well, thanks very much. You are seeing one of the classrooms at Karis Bible College in Woodland Park, Colorado, C-H-A-R-I-S. Karis is a school that... uh, um, it's really one of the fastest growing Christian universities in the world. And they've got uh, different majors like practical government that's dealing with restoring our constitutional republic. And they've got, obviously, as a Christian college, ministry and uh, business. But this is the global training program. And these students, we're, we're talking about media and doing media training. And so when this uh, opportunity to be on with you came through, Steve, it was like, perfect. So uh, let me ask you this. Do you have any advice for these students that are going to one day go forth and assume their own roles in world media for biblical worldview? Steve Dace, you're a pro. Got any advice for this class? Oh, you bet I do. And since you asked, here's the first, here's the first and best piece of advice. I would Actually, the first and best piece of advice I would give is to take seriously Paul's admonishment and encouragement to offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice. All right. So that would be, that would be the first thing I would do is the, is the willingness to go wherever God leads to say whatever God wants you to say and, and to, uh, and to offer the mission up against your ambition at all times. And as often as you can, you can daily do that. That would be the first piece of advice I would give. The, the second would be more strategic. Um, it's not about your tone. It's about the truth. That doesn't, that doesn't mean, by the way, that every th- come up with the most jerk-tastic way to say everything you possibly could. That, that's not what it means. But in, in, we've tried the soft sell. We've done this with guys in Hawaiian shirts and khaki pants and skinny jeans for a generation. We, we have given this culture the softer side of Sears. It's patently rejected it. All we did is create massive ministries with celebrity pastors and made them New York Times bestsellers. And then, and then by the way, almost none of those guys are anywhere to be found when the, when the, when the, when the bullets start flying. Okay. Okay, so jettison all of that in this era, you got to figure out how I can be provocative to cut right through the muck in the mire because everybody's getting emotionally affirmed. And so this is a confrontational era. Focus more on what is the truth of what I am going to say, because this era is so lost where truth is concerned, Alex, that any attempt I would make any tone at all to make. Okay, I would try to soften it like he gets us. Is tried tried to has tried to do the last few months. They're all Nazis. They're all fascists. Okay, so you're going to get called that anyway. So might as well go ahead and bring the pain, bring the thunder. This is a this is not an era 
uh, that that needs to be patted on its head. This is an era that needs to be confronted the way John the Baptist confronted Herod in the streets. And so I would focus much more on the truth of what I'm going to say. And will that truth honor and glorify God? And if you, because, because in the end, love is not a sentiment or an emotion. Love is a motivation. All right. And so the same God that sent John the Baptist into the streets to say, you're a whoremonger, stop it. That's the same God who stretches his arms out wide uh, on the cross and says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Both motivations are the same. They are love. Do not buy into the 21st century lie in the West that love is a tone because that'll get you going right down the road of affirming this world that desperately needs to be confronted. And now you probably regret that you ever asked me that question. <laughs> Listen. No, no, this is great, Stephen. And I mean, these guys that have become wealthy and famous from from Amy Grant uh, hosting a lesbian wedding for a relative. I mean, she made her money and got her fame on the backs of Bible believing Christians. And I, I want to say this, the people that are the water it down, make it uh, seeker sensitive, whenever the, the chips are on the table, I mean, they, they always cower back and really sell out the very same gospel and biblical worldview that made them famous. And so, Steve, your point is well taken. The time to uh, put on the kid gloves is well past. We owe it to a lost world and frankly to our Savior in obedience to Jesus to tell the world the truth. And we're in a famine of truth, aren't we? Definitely. That's the epistemological crisis, as I like to describe it. Before we even get to persuading the world to the truth that we believe in, um, this is a world that doesn't even want to accept truth on any level. I mean, I, I, I was just flying this weekend. People still want to wear masks. I've seen I've seen people get offered on Twitter a hundred thousand dollars to take off their mask, and they still won't do it. The, the the lie, as my as as my partner here on the show Todd likes to say, the lie is the point. We desperately want lies in our culture, and I think Alex. Our own people need to be prepared to defend what they believe. I mean, I've seen polls recently in the last couple of years from Pew that a majority of Christians don't know what the Great Commission is. We've all seen the, the very desperate Barna data that 9% of believers have a biblical worldview. You deal with this on a very intimate level. Is it, is it as bad as, as the polls say it is? At least, uh, if not more so. And Steve, hey, look, I love the church. I love uh, the body of believers. But we're in a famine of truth. And they're, they, they say there are 345,000 Protestant churches in America right now. There, Steve, there are more than a half million ordained ministers. And yet we are living in a culture of biblical illiteracy. And uh, look, I know there are a lot of pastors that are very selfless and they are sacrificial and they serve their parishioners, but we are living in a time, let me close out that Outlook uh, notification, that a lot of pastors have not done their job in passing on the authority of Scripture and the knowledge, biblical literacy, to their people. And part of the reason that people don't know truth, and like you say, we are in an epistemological crisis, is because the pulpits have been uh, silent. I say this, and I, I feel like I can say this having pastored two churches, uh, one megachurch in Charlotte, North Carolina, and one not so megachurch. Uh, but um, pastors have become B-grade motivational speakers. 
And, and rather than laying out what thus saith the Lord, they've given these inspirational feel-good messages. And we've got a couple of generations of people now that are just clueless as to what the Word of God says. So when you approach this with the next generation, as you are literally at this very moment with a classroom behind you, walk us through, because I know there are a ton of pastors listening to us right now, okay? Walk us through what you would urge them to do and, and, and some very beginning elementary steps in reaching these lost generations. Well, a great question. Um, and I, I'm assuming that the people that aspire to make a difference in the culture, that they know the Lord and they believe the Bible and they, they care about America. So th those things are a given, I'm hoping. But if you're a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader, or you're in any position of influence over people, um, teach the Bible verse by verse. Because look, if you teach the Bible, you invariably will come to the hot button issues of our culture. You know, anthropology. Teach Genesis 1 and you'll see God made male and female in the image of, of God. Uh, if you teach 1 Corinthians, you'll come to chapter 6 and you will come to the subject of unrepentant homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So if you approach topics just, um, you know, like you want to do a series on, a, on an issue, people might think you're cherry picking. But when you teach the Bible in its entirety, you will come to all of the issues, moral issues, economic issues, issues of race, race and ethnicity. And if people get bent out of shape, you say, well, you know, look, the Word of God says what it says. And, and let me encourage pastors, don't, don't shy away from the hot potatoes. You know, whether it's marriage, whether it's sexual morality, whether it's uh, the right to self-defense and national defense, we need to be teaching the Word of God, and we will come to the issues and, and I want to say this, there is something very self-authenticating about what Scripture says. Steve, you and I, you and I are both, and, and brother, I have such a respect for you. You and I have been in the worldview uh, arena for a long, long time, and, and that's important. But very often, I, I think we just need to let the, the Word of God out there. Mm -hmm. Here is what uh, Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, if you do not repent, you will perish. I mean, and you let it lay there and the spirit of God will use the word of God. And so we've got to give the full counsel of God because that alone is really what changes lives. I can't I can't let you go without asking you, Alex, what are you encouraged by right now? What do you see really impacts the next generation? And so therefore there that's maybe where opportunity lies for us within the church. Well, I, I am encouraged that history shows that when things are at their absolute worst, that's when the dear Lord Jesus will show up. You know, I mean, there have been great awakenings at some very dire points in human history, and we are at one of those dire points. And uh, the light bulb is coming on. God is speaking through people like yourself. I think about people like Eric Metaxas. I think about many names that I could name. Uh, Dr. Dobson, Andrew Womack, the founder here of Keras, uh, myself. And 
People are still hungry for truth. That encourages me. And the Jesus Revolution movie is showing about something God did 50 years ago. We've heard of the Asbury Revival. So I want to give three quick little thoughts, Steve. One is Christian unity. Um, I'm seeing Protestant, born-again Catholics, Pentecostals, non-Pentecostals. Look, uh, if, if somebody is a friend of Jesus, we need to understand they may not have been from our camp or denomination, but we need each other. And so when Christians unify, the Spirit of God can work. And that's John 17, 21. The other thing is, Steve, people are still hungry. In spite of decades of Democrat messaging and spin doctoring and just the, the deconstruction of truth, People are hungry. I was on an interview recently with a, a professed atheist. After the interview, this guy calls me and asks me to pray for his wife who had cancer. An atheist asked me to pray for his wife, which I'm happy to do. So human nature hasn't changed. People still have a hunger for truth. And the final thing that encourages me, Steve, is that our God will not be uh, outdone. Okay, a month ago, the Grammys, which is uh, the most irrelevant show of the year, but there was a, a, a musical act on the Grammys that was basically an homage to Satan. 72 hours later, the, the revival at Asbury broke out. And so folks understand that Satan is the greatest cosmic loser of all time. He's overplayed his hand. And if, if we pray, we unify, God will answer. And the spirit of the living God will rule and overrule. And we need to be greatly encouraged in that. We're on the cusp of the third great awakening and we all can be participants. That's very encouraging. Thank you, Alex. Good to see you again, brother. Take care. And thank you to all the students there as well. God bless everyone. God bless. Thank you. Check out his website, alexmcfarland.com, M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D, M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D, alexmcfarland.com. A lot of cool worldview stuff is there. And um, I think that's the first time we've ever done an interview live within somebody's classroom. So that was, yeah. that's, that's a very good visual that reinforces the very points he was trying to make there. Just please don't make it a standard of me now that all the guests I get have to have audiences that applause <laughs> because um, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to make that happen for you. But it's encouraging. Just the fact that they want to. Yeah, I'll be on camera. Let's, yep. let's do this. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be op an option, uh, but really, it's it's people like that. Here I am. I can do no other. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want the truth in all its forms. Just give it to me. Again, it's... It, all the world be all the worldview we do, but I, I I love his point. It it's some of it needs unpacking. A lot of it does. Most important parts almost don't at all, and we keep trying to massage and feng right. shui it, and that's on us. Yep. That's nobody else's sin. That's our sin. In the end, Alex's greatest advice was, the most potent weapon in any culture is a man of God in a pulpit with the scriptures open yeah, and the boldness to tell people what it actually says. That's the, that's the greatest weapon of mass destruction in any, in any culture, in any era, in any custom, any language. That formula has never changed. And I, I think which, which changed is our faith in that formula. Yes. And the idea that we have come up with a new way of doing this, a, a new, a, a new creativity, 
a new spin on things. It's the new Coke, and it's pathetic. Yes, and there, and so we'll get a bunch of people um, who are enjoying their sin will now suddenly be like, "Wow, you guys, that was so refreshing and inspiring." I'm just going to throw my sin. At- no, no, no. Even in, in even in Jesus' revolution, man, you see real spiritual warfare taking place within even the hippie culture of the era. Hour two is next. Back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. And all of you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Email the show, Steve at SteveDace.com, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can find me as well over on Truth Social, at Real Steve Dace there, at Real Steve Dace on Truth Social. Speaking of Twitter, don't forget we are doing a worldwide Twitter takeover today for my upcoming movie, Nefarious, hitting theaters on April the 14th. So if you want to be a part of that, if you're on Twitter, look at hashtag Nefarious Movie, and uh, you can definitely help us with the algorithm there. Hashtag Nefarious Movie is uh, the hashtag for today's worldwide Twitter takeover for the Nefarious film. I saw that Scream opened up to $45 million over the weekend, which is a monster opening for any R-rated film. Good thing we put our trailer in front of that movie around the country. Yeah, eh? absolutely. <laughs> thing got seen. That thing probably got seen a few a few times this weekend. Uh, this portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. A lot of you have had it. Uh, you're done supporting companies that are raking in hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of dollars while trashing the country and the value system that made it and made their very success possible. And until recently, though, you didn't have opportunities with a parallel economy to give your business instead. And now you do. And thankfully, with one of those opportunities is a product that we all have to use in this day and age, a mobile phone. So make the switch like our family did uh, a a couple of years ago, we made the switch finally to Patriot Mobile. Thought it was going to be a big hassle. They made it as seamless as absolutely possible. And then I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm kind of getting the VIP treatment because they're partners with us on the show. Nope. I've heard from so many of you as well that have told me what a great job they did helping you guys make the switch to Patriot Mobile 2. Take advantage of their of their new coverage guarantee. If you're not happy with the current network you have, you can switch at any time to a different network for free for free via Patriot Mobile. All right, so go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Get a free activation when you go there and use the offer code Steve at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Or just call them at 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. Those of you listening to the podcast, thank you very much. If you have yet to do so and wouldn't mind, please hit subscribe or follow if that applies. Leave us a five-star review as well. Thank you to all of you that have left us those five-star reviews. And when you leave us a five-star review, if you embed in there a question that you want to have considered for a future Ask Me Anything, it will go to the front of the line for consideration by Todd. Speaking of which... It is time for our latest Ask Me Anything with questions from Facebook. By now, you guys know the drill. I don't see any of these because I like uh, uh, blindsided, snotty questions the best. So I don't have a clue what is coming. Todd has curated all questions. How are we looking this week? Do you like the one? Did you like the pool of questions you had to, uh, to curate from? 
Doesn't matter what I think. Matters what you think. So let's find out. Well, that's not the most inspiring endorsement. Well, just sometimes I think I've got questions that you're going to park at for a while, and you blast right past them. And otherwise, it's a reverse. So that's it's, fair enough. It's about what entertains Steve on any given day. Fair enough. Thank you. And so, Aaron, you have said questions. Let us begin. We'll begin with Paula, who asks, how do I talk to my husband about politics and COVID? He gets so mad at me when I explain what's going on in the world. He's choosing to remain ignorant, and he tells me that I'm the reason people can't get along with each other. He believes that we need to compromise and get along with those we don't agree with. He doesn't understand what time it is. Hmm. Ask him to define compromise. You know, here's what I would do with, with these kinds of individuals. Ask a lot of questions. Uh, absolutely the socratic method uh, jesus uses this method throughout the new testament the asking of questions to to prick the conscience to to get the logic centers in the brain moving along here right uh, rev those engines up because for a lot of our fellow countrymen they're dead i mean they're they're like a pilot light on a gas stove that you're not supposed to have anymore <laughs> all right the stove is there cleaned up looks like it looks like it'll work right you go to turn that thing on though and it's just there's no flame because the pilot light is out so what i would do with your husband is ask a lot of questions when these conversations come up oh hey sweetie okay what's a good area you think we could compromise on and be earnest don't make it seem as if you're trying to corner him. You are. But don't make it seem like you are. <laughs> okay? Um, you, you genuinely want to know what he thinks. And you do. You genuinely want to know what he thinks because then you can successfully corner him. Um, but you're not trying to, remember. So um, you want to know, why, why does he feel this way? Does he have some legit reasons? Is it just he's not comfortable with confrontation, which is unfortunately not uncommon amongst the male side of the species and the era in which we live? Um, you know, and I don't know your husband well enough to know the answers to those things, but you do. And so I would, I would ask questions that are open-ended and compel him to answer and let him show you where he is truly coming from. That's what I would do. And I, and I think that is something that could be done for all of you within the sound of my voice right now. We should be asking questions more often. I mean, to you guys, when you hear me say, what is the benign, innocent explanation for this? When you guys hear this, you know what I am doing. You know already there isn't one. That's why I'm bringing that point up. But, but... Right now, if you're the audience of this show for any extended period of time, you're already, man, at the PhD level of critical thinking in America, okay? And that is more of a statement about where things currently are in America than it is um, a pat on our own shoulders. Fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's just the reality of the situation. But when I, when I say these things in open areas of, of, of social media censorship, it is to, it is to prick the conscience. You tell me. We have a 20% increase in cancer deaths in Aaron's age group right now. 20% increase in cancer deaths in Aaron's age group. What's the benign innocent explanation for that? 
Because in your era, in your age group, Aaron, it ain't about a lack of early screening and detection. You're not doing cancer screening at 30 years old, okay? So that ain't it. We, we could say that, and I have pointed that out when we've talked about the rise in excess deaths around elderly populations, of which you and I are rapidly approaching that description, Todd. Mm-hmm. Because then we do get it. You and I are now, I'm about to be 50. You're already there, right? Yep. So we're doing the prostate exam stuff, all that stuff, right? We're kind of doing some of those early detection things now. And so our wives are doing it too with breast exams and things of that nature. So we're in that age group where preventative health does make a difference. And you could make the case that the lockdowns taking away what were called elective medical procedures, which was literally anything that wasn't instantly life or death. So that includes pre-screenings for these kinds of maladies. We could say when it gets to our age group and in the, in the, our parents' age group, that that could be the number one reason for the rise of excess deaths and, and not the jab. That's, that's a realistic, reasonable proposition. Probably not totally true, but not unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. How do we explain Aaron's age group having a 20% increase in cancer deaths? Just literally out of nowhere. Because how many prostate exams did you get at 28? Uh, that would be none. That would be none. Yeah, they, they weren't required of you. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the only person, the only people out getting proctology exams, and I'm sorry, prostate, prostate exams at, uh, prostate exams, I should say, at 28, people like Lindsey Graham. But they're not doing it for early detection. Next question. Next is from Stephen Miller, who says, I believe Naomi Wolf's apology article was genuine, thorough, and well-approached. Does it matter? I think any time someone shows humility and they have a voice in the public square, it matters. You bet it does. You bet it does. Our integrity matters. Our character matters. So, yes, it matters. In fact, I've, I've been contemplating, and you guys tell me what you think of this. I have been contemplating writing a response column for The Blaze to Dr. Naomi Wolf's Dear Conservatives, I Apologize, just pointing out all the canards that she had fallen for from her because of her political biases that have proven to not be true the last few years. I've actually contemplated writing a, a response. Dear liberals, I apologize. <laughs> And you were right about forever war. I got you know caught up in my jingoistic child of the 80s fervor, and the war in Iraq was an unmitigated disaster. Maybe the worst foreign policy decision in all of American history. You're right, forever war, being ruled by defense, government by defense contractors, not a good idea. You were right to be concerned about corporate America being an instrument, a cudgel for or an inflection point, I should say, for the for the introduction of fascism into America. You were right about that. I watched that take place the last few years when it came to the, the Biden vaccine mandate and everything else. So you guys were right. You guys won. You guys have won these arguments with me. I give because I'm a truth guy. I go where the truth is. And the truth has pointed out that the arguments that you had that I didn't take seriously 20 or 30 years ago, or not as seriously as I should have, have proven to be true. But then we end it with, my question, though, is, do, do you guys actually still believe these things? See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I, I've thought about having that be a response column to, to Naomi. What do you think? Um, it's kind of 
on a T, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a little perfect. What do you think, Aaron? I think I like that. I like that. It reminds me of. Uh, it reminds me of this uh, really emotionally driven TikTok. It's got the emotional music in the background, and some absolute quizzling dude, probably a little younger than you guys, comes on there and starts bemoaning Christians. Why did you guys change? You told me to love each other. You told me to do this, and you told me to do that. Just a complete and total bastardization. Right. Of it's it's them who's changed. It's it's you who have twisted the scriptures. It's you who have twisted the truth and believed lies. That's that's what it, and that's everywhere. That that type of attitude is ubiquitous. Now it's this morning. It's David French. Um, you know what? I've been wrong about a few things. So go ahead and ch- chop your uh, penis off and your boobs off in the New York Times. That's, that's basically his argument. I think it flies right in the face of that. It's totally disarming. Hey, you guys were right. You guys were actually right. Mm-hmm. What happened to you? Mm-hmm. What happened to you? I love that idea. Ready okay. to move on? Ready to move on. David Beatty asks, will it be a novel version of the screenplay for Nefarious? Maybe. We actually haven't discussed it at all. We've just got a, a million other things right now. We've got to make sure that the movie Nefarious makes the maximum impact that it can. So we have not discussed a novelization screenplay, but I don't think it's out of the question either. I think it's something that if the movie is successful, um, I, I could see that being something that maybe you could see next year. I could see that potentially. For now, what we will do is um, we will reissue. It'll be in a limited release, actually. We will reissue a limited release of autographed by me uh, a reprints of the original nefarious plot book with though new cover art that includes the movie poster. So those will be out in April or May. I don't know the exact date yet, but I, I, I could foresee um, a novelization of the screenplay for sure. If the movie is successful enough to, to warrant it. Eric Reed is next to asks: should people be able to carry a firearm to church? Even if there is an off duty police officer there. Uh, yes. I don't, quite understand yeah, this question. That seems like a random question for you to select, Todd. Well, I wanted to see if anybody, and the answer is no, had a reaction different from me because, like, I, what what angle are you searching for here? I, I, this, this, this seems to be, it's not even a gun issue. This seems to be like a, a theology issue mm-hmm. where, again, you're trying to find a way, anyway, into believing or out of believing what's clear and right in front of you in a particular crisp uh, passage of scripture like what what it seems like the the fact that there's a security officer there only validates all the more you having a weapon because it's okay and just i mean i mean it is the security officer a spirit-filled believer i i'm asking because if he's not what guarantee do i have that if it goes down there that gun won't be drawn on me See what I'm saying? Like let's 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 have the let's have the criminal equivalent of that Glenn Youngkin clip from your montage. Someone who's not really one of us just thinks the other side's a kind of crazy, mm-hmm. okay? But then gets confronted like right to his face, and man, you could just you could see the look on Glenn Youngkin's face, okay? 
I mean, he is sweating. He's 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 got he's got the same pained look on his face your nan pop has after he's taken his third dose of prunes and he still can't squeeze one off. That's the look on Glenn Youngkin's face. You're laughing, but it is, isn't it? You can just yeah. see the pained look on his face. Okay. Let's take that though out of a town hall context and let's put it in a criminal one. Someone walks in, man, with evil intentions. Okay. And um these are white Christian nationalists, racists. My 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 brother, uh, my trans brother killed himself because of what gets preached here. You see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. That all goes down. You sure? If, if the security person isn't a spirit-filled believer, you sure that when they draw their weapon, it ain't against you? Sure they don't buckle? Yeah, you know, you're right. These are terrible. Do we know? Do you know that? I don't know. I'd want to know before I decided, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and outsource my defense to you in that regard. I'd want to know questions like that. We're in, we're in an era where you need to, I just go back to the first question we had, and I said, ask your husband a lot of questions. We need to ask everybody a lot of questions. I, I saw Tim Poole had a poll, over, a poll over the weekend. Should people with mental illness be allowed to carry our firearms? And my response to his poll was, if the social compact were not broken, the answer to this would, of course, be no. But we live in an era where... They, the spirit of the age will seek to define you in the harshest terms possible. We're mentally ill. We are. We are. Every single, every single person you are listening to on this show, everyone with the sound of my voice that wants to listen to shows like this, you're mentally ill. I mean, why would you want to listen to those alt-right uh, Christian, white, white Christian nationalists, those racists, those xenophobes? So it's not that simple now. This is, this, is what, this is what the Bible means in Proverbs when it says, what can the righteous do when the foundations be destroyed? The foundations of this civilization are gone. Destroyed. And so it requires a lot less trusting and benefit of the doubt and a lot more asking of questions. So, I mean, I'd literally ask, if you believe, if, if you are a concealed carry guy, and you go to a church that says, hey, I don't want, you, you don't need to carry. We've got security. Do I know that security person? Are they a spirit-filled believer? Do I know if the spirit of the age shows up in the lobby armed? They're not going to Glenn Yunk and me and turn on me? Do I, I, I'd want to know questions like that. And I think everybody needs to be thinking along those lines. Don't take anything for granted. Ask questions about everything. John is next, who asks, after you make millions from this movie release, will you build a, a, a winter studio in a warmer climate, and where would you build it? Or will you continue to whine from when Christmas ends until March Madness about living in the cold? It's probably going to be the latter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my way. This is something when all of, this, all of, all of the noise from the mo- movie kind of fades down. Let's let's start talking turkey about uh, building a building a studio here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teresa Burgos says this one's for Todd. Did you ever consider sending your kids to Catholic school? That being said, I realize sometimes Catholic schools are not Catholic at all. I just uh, I did send them here. Uh, you must be a relatively new listener. But the point I only wanted to bring up with that is that it, Catholic school is like. The Catholic Church writ large across the entire world. And 
it, it's the same within the Protestant world, the different denominations, different places. Like you, 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 you'll have Catholic schools where that's exactly where you want you send your kids to go uh, in certain dioceses. And then there's other ones. It, mine just like you could just see year after year uh, and trending towards high school that you, you are going to spend money on things that you did not want to be uh, complicit in. And the amount of reach you would have in trying to address it was going uh, to be problematic. And again, there, this beyond Catholicism, this this to me, and I included it for Steve to pivot off of. You you can't just put it's ask questions. You cannot just put your life mm-hmm. on autopilot. And now. As I'm a refugee over in a Protestant school where Steve's kids uh, attend. You, I love you, that you use the term you, refugee. Well, that I think me it's up. accurate. I think it's absolutely accurate. You, 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 this is what you need to do. Steve's been hard on uh, this point about if you uh, have a red uh, mindset but are living in a blue, irre- irrevocably blue state, what are you prepared uh, to do? Either in that place... Your level of activism better be at Shannon Joy level or you like just sitting around and complaining about it. Why? So I, I this is not even a, uh, to me a, a Catholic uh, a specific question. You live in a neighborhood with a particular school, public, Catholic or otherwise. You, you, you're and if you're the dad. Going back to that first question, uh, where, you know, I, the last thing I want on my tombstone is say, well, he really believed in compromise. I, it, I can't even <laughs> fathom, you know, no, lead, lead. Where do you want your kids? Steve's kids started off in, uh, uh, being homeschooled. Most of them finished that way. He had a son who needed more, needed something different. You just, that's just being a dad that's just being a man so i hand it over to him but this wasn't a catholic specific question don't make it too neat and tidy you, you chose to get married you chose to have a family now you got work to do that's extremely well said and i think that is comprehensive on a on a cultural basis what you just said can be applied absolutely everywhere you bet that's great Michelle Murphy Worthington asks, what is the total percentage of people in America that would say they're nominally at best Republican? Then take 15% of that number, those who didn't take the jab. These are maybe the only people who desire for Trump to come clean. Maybe we're wrong and the percentage of people who need him to come clean is so low, it doesn't matter to his numbers and he's banking in or on that. So I, I think your numbers could be correct, but your analysis not. Um, and and it, I'm, I'm not saying, at least I don't think I have, and if I have, correct me. I have, I have said Iowa will create a reckoning on the jab. Did I say the Republican primary would necessarily? No. The only opinions, first of all, that matter right now are in Iowa and New Hampshire. Those are the only two people, Iowans, what are they, New Hampshireans, New Hampshireites? Do you guys know? I don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Granite Staters? Granite, yeah, we'll just go, go with that. 
Because that, that actually kind of sounds cool. All right. So are the Iowans and Granite Staters, all right, are the only two opinions. Those two people are the only two opinions that matter in all of America right now. Only two opinions that matter. Because they're going to vote before everybody else does. And so they're going to see more of these candidates than everybody else will. And so what is, what is a priority to them matters more than what's a priority on a nationwide basis. And I go back to the 2012 cycle when Megyn Kelly was still at Fox News. And, you know, Megyn has a background as, a, as, a, as an attorney. And she was just flabbergasted that Republican candidates in Iowa were getting asked questions about defying federal court orders. Well, because what did, what did we just do in the previous election cycle in 2010? We got rid of the judges because of what they thought they were going to be able to do with amending the Constitution unilaterally on their own. And so you don't get, folks, you, you don't get an entire state, even one with only barely, with barely 4 million people, or not even 4 million people. You don't get an entire state, even one with less than 4 million people, to not participate in judicial elections. And then all of a sudden get a majority of them like that to, to participate in mass and then vote against judges mm-hmm. who many of them they don't even know the names of without a lot of legwork. OK, I mean, Bob and I and a small group of us did months and months and months of legwork. Bob traveled the state. I was on a 50,000 watt station across the entire state every day. Really, we, we were discipling. We were catechizing. That's really what we were doing. All right. So. Um, because a lot of people didn't even know you turned the ballot over and there were other names on the other side, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone turn over and participate. Okay. So now that we've got this mass base of people in Iowa that we have discipled on this and educated and, and, and mobilized on this, they're, they're now going to want to go extra, extra mile. So they start asking Rick Santorum and Ron Paul and, and, and the candidates that were here in 2012, they start asking him, so, well, I mean, what if the court, the Supreme Court says, you know, we're going to demand that you disobey the Constitution? Are you going to do it? These guys had never gotten any questions like this before, and they weren't getting these questions anywhere else, by the way, only here. Okay? So, uh, likewise, we have, we have long had a very strong medical freedom slash anti-vax movement in Iowa. And it actually is because of the fact that we have a lot of hard left-wing, real anti-corporatist left-wingers, not the fake ones we see Mm -hmm. on TV, like real ones, okay? Real anti-corporatist left-wingers who don't trust big pharma, okay? Um, And then a lot of the homeschooling community that has a a great distrust for the idea of science that rejects the existence and sovereignty of God and, and just treats human beings as if we're nothing other than an evolved upright, that of chemicals, you know, this better than me, because this is your native tribe. Yeah. Okay. This, this has always been a large systemic voting block in Iowa has always existed. What have the last few years done to said voting block? Well, it hasn't made it shy away. No, it hasn't. No. No. Now, now it puts on major events, okay, that people around the country come to Iowa. Yeah. And you've, you've gone to these a events. Of these, yes. yeah. uh, so that group is going to absolutely, when, we're, when you're talking about, I mean, when we got more votes in the Iowa caucuses on the Cruz campaign than any candidate had ever gotten in Iowa before, and he broke, what was it, 40,000 voters, I think it was. So 
we had the largest turnout we'd ever had in an Iowa caucus before. It was about 175,000. If I, I haven't looked at these numbers in a while, that that rings true to me somewhere in that number. Okay, so when we're only talking about 150 to 180,000 people are going to vote, not as many people take part in the Iowa caucuses as you think. Okay, so when we're only talking about 150, 180,000 people are going to vote in this thing. You bet your sweet bippy, 10, 20, 30,000 people that are really committed on something have a huge say in who wins this thing. A huge say in it. And so we're absolutely going to have a reckoning in Iowa on this. You bet you will. You bet it will be one of the determining factors in this state. You bet it will. I promise you it will. Now, I have no idea if I, I doubt Trump will get asked about it anywhere else. I, I don't know. You're probably right. But it doesn't matter that he doesn't get asked about it everywhere else if he gets asked about it constantly in the state that's going to vote before everyone else. And so since he's going to get asked about it constantly in the state that's going to vote before everyone else, that means everyone else is going to be hearing his answers on this, right? Mm -hmm. So it absolutely matters. Which is why he needs a good answer. These, these a, a better answer than to shut the beaches down yeah. for two weeks. That ain't going to fly. But I promise you it won't. This group Steve is talking about, we're used to, you know, okay, some fog of war, middle. I, but if, if Trump keeps like leaning on stupid hard on this, they, they just, they'll be like, okay, you're dead to me. I mean, I we absolutely tried. will. I promise you that'll happen if he continues down this road. He will not win here. You bet. All DeSantis has to do is win one of the one of the first few early states and then get it into states like North Carolina, his native Florida, that are much more suburban, less friendly territory to a Trump. That's all he's got to do is not get knocked out in the first few states. He has to win one of them. okay? and if there was ever a state equipped for him to hold uh, a trial on the management of covid between what happened in Washington under Trump and what happened in Florida under his guidance, this would be the place that is perfectly suited for that trial to occur. We'll come back. More of your questions in a moment. Hey, remember when the government had perfectly safe medications and they wouldn't let you have them during a deadly pandemic that they caused yeah coming up on the three-year anniversary of that this week by the way yes we are don't get caught flat-footed again because unless we punish them for doing it the first time they're going to do it again go to our friends over at jace medical the jace case is doctor created doctor recommended venerable antibiotics like amoxicillin doxycycline and more that, who knows, may next time be the new medicines that you're not allowed to have that are suddenly dangerous, suddenly can't be trusted. Make sure you're prepared. Uh, in some cases, you may have to jump on a quick call with a board-certified physician, like me, for example, because I have a, a penicillin uh, allergy. So we do doxycycline in our Jace case instead. Just want to make sure they're not giving you something that uh, your body can't handle. Uh, but for most people, uh, this will go pretty fast. And you'll get to use the promo code DACE for a discount uh, at checkout. Promo code DACE for a discount at checkout. When you go to jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E is how it is spelled. J as in jump at this right now, jacemedical.com, and use the promo code DACE at checkout for a discount on your order for the Jace case. 
All right, let's continue on with Ask Me Anything. This one falls into the category of interesting, in my opinion. Steve Johnson says, is there a theological belief you once confidently held that after studying it out further, you became convinced of a different point of view? If so, what was it? Yes. Um, eschatology. Uh-oh. Um, most Americans, going back to the Schofield Bible Notes, uh, have only... Most of Amer- most American Christians have only been exposed to one eschatological viewpoint. So, I mean, I, when I, I mean, my wife and I, when we first got converted, we bought every Left Behind book. We hung, and the, the, the day they came out, we hung like on every word. By the way, they're extremely well written. Except Nikolai does get really kind of one-dimensional as it goes on, and you start thinking to yourself, okay, who's going to follow this guy? But what the hell do I know? They, that was pre-COVID, no. They, they, <laughs> true, true. And they also sold 100 million more books than I did, literally. So they clearly know something I do not, right? But um, I had no idea that there were other theories and, um, and, and other theologies of eschatology. Didn't have a clue. I'd never heard the term post-millennial. I'd never heard the term amillennial. I didn't even, I didn't even know what like a, a post-trib rapture was. Most Americans have, have only, and I would say Christians and non-Christians alike, most Americans have only been exposed to the, the Hal Lindsey, Late Great Planet Earth, which was the um, second best-selling non-fiction book, I believe, of the 20th century, or certainly was up there. Uh, th- that, that sort of Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins view is the, is the, and it's not just them, I'm just using their names because they're the biggest names. They wrote the most important books uh, on those topics. But those, that viewpoint is really all premillennial dispensationalism. The vast, overwhelming majority of Americans have heard about the end of days from a Christian perspective. So it was during, you know, my hefty, uh, um, renewing of my mind portion of my conversion. And I'm, you know, I want to know who are all these celebrity ministers and who are, what, what, who's on this Christian channel and who's legit, who's not, and what's a prosperity gospel and all that. I mean, I just intently for several years studied all of this as much as I could, listened to as many shows and watched as many shows and read as many books and stuff as I possibly could for several years. Just went through like a theological boot camp. And along the way, I ran into a guy inadvertently named Gary DeMar, who had written a book, um, essentially destroying and deconstructing from his vantage point, the, the traditional premillennial dispensational view. And, you know, that led me down another rabbit hole you know, and I learned, I found out who people like R.J. Rush Dooney and people like that were. All right. So I learned a lot more about postmillennialism and theonomy and um, the Puritans and things of that nature. Then I was really curious uh, because, um, you know, Todd knows one of my favorite theologians is Augustine. So I was very curious, curious what your church taught. And that led me down the road of studying amillennialism and things of that nature. And, um, and then... Because I'm that guy. I started reading more about what they each wrote about one another. And I found all of their takedowns of one another's to be very effective, actually. 
okay. Which is very difficult when you're like, I agree with everybody's criticisms. I'm not sure therefore what I think. Okay. So yes, I would say eschatology for sure would be in that camp. Excellent question. I'm kind of surprised we've not been asked that before. I don't recall getting that question ever before. Chipping away. Yeah, I like it. Okay, good one. Next. Uh, This is from Brian, who says, I love your comic book superhero references as applied to the modern world. So here's my question. How would Superman, as we know him from the comics canon, react to today's world? And how would uh, the world react to Superman? That's That's another really good question. So if we're going to comics canon... Um, I think that this world would have a very difficult time reacting to the, the creation of a mythology around an altruistic superhuman who's, and if you follow the, and if you know the origins of, of Superman as a character and his inspirations, Um, They include Moses and Jesus, basically. Right. So just like with Moses, um, uh, he is placed into a vessel and sent away at the, you know, for a doomed civilization. Same thing happens. Moses's birth parents put him in a vessel and sent him up the stream uh, to get away, you know, during a time of great persecution. Um, And and he becomes a stranger in a strange land when he is... um, adopted essentially by another world um in this case it's earth in Moses' case it's the it's the egypt the kingdom of egypt um and then you see the the notions of the altruistic messianic um uh, uh, hero who provides earthly forms of salvation for no other reason other than the love of his mission and of the people that he was sent here by his father um, to, to set an example for and to save. See any parallels there with that? Yeah. And that's why when you watch, go back and you watch the old Richard Donner Superman trailers and, and messaging and you from the seventies, you can see all that on YouTube. I mean, and you see it in the movie, they fully embraced all that stuff. They went full bore with it. And that, that Superman also introduced during a time of great cynicism and nihilism coming out of uh, the, the, the collapse and failure of the hippie movement and all the scandals of the 70s and the assassinations and everything else, that they, Donner really played that up. I mean, there's, an, there's even an exchange in one of the original Superman trailers that's a direct quote from Jesus in the Gospel of John. I am in, the, the, where he talks about, I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. I mean, that's right out of the Bible. And that audience loved it because they were still barely a generation away from these sorts of notions being common in, in, in the culture. We're a couple generations away now. I, I don't think we could appreciate it. I think, I think this has been the struggle in, even though it's exactly the kind of, of content we need, we need that level of inspiration. And I think this has been the struggle of Hollywood to, to make a Superman film and create a franchise around him for decades is because I think there's a sense we're not worthy of a hero like that. And how would we respond to it? And that's why we keep remaking Batman. I've pointed this out before. 
There's new iterations. We're going to have multiple Batman franchises now. I mean, the next few years, you're going to see three different Batman. Are you going to see the one that was introduced in the movie last year, which is terrific, by the way. Um, you'll see Michael Keaton and Michael Keaton and Ben. So four Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck's Batman's will both be resurrected later this year in the Flash movie. And then there's a whole new Batman franchise apparently coming as well in the new DCU. So in the in the in the in within a span of, of four to five years, you're going to see four different people playing Batman minimum. Because the idea of the person who's broken and never is healed. But still has managed to do manages to do some good in the world. We see ourselves in him. So we can't get enough of the broken vessel. And Batman is perpetually broken. He's never made whole. He never recovers. He's never healed from what he witnessed in Crime Alley that day. I think that there, and I will be fascinated to see what James Gunn, who has shown he is masterful at creating irreverent content, whether it's Guardians of the Galaxy um, suicide Squad, things of that nature. He has shown to be masterful at irreverent content. I will be fascinated to see what he does with Superman. I think Zack Snyder's Man of Steel is a phenomenal film. But that film absolutely, while still pointing out, you know, the whole stranger in the strange land motif, absolutely played up the traditional allegory aspects of Superman. Right down to before he reveals himself to the world in that film, he goes to the church he grew up in and goes and seeks the counsel of the priest to see if the world is ready for him to reveal himself. And that film was a, dis, was a box office disappointment, even though it's nearly perfect. It's nearly flawless as a Superman film. Why? Because 10 years ago, the idea of even a more in-tuned, emotionally messianic figure who's still a messianic figure doesn't resonate. Because deep down, this is why there's so much apocalyptic content right now. What's the number one show in America right now? The Last of Us. It's the number one show in the country right now. Previously, what was one of the number one shows in the country? The Walking Dead, same, they're the same show, same genre, just different storylines. We can't get enough of the apocalyptic stuff because I think deep down we know we, we're not worthy of being saved. We're not worthy of it. So get busy living or get busy dying. We can't get enough of the drain circling. I think, I think a messianic myth- mythological character shining in the sun as an example to rise above our base natures, I, I just think that is something the West is really struggling to be inspired by or to be entertained by. And so I will be fascinated to see what Gunn will do with it because that has not been his style of storytelling his entire career. So maybe he won't. Maybe he'll give us a woke Superman, and if he does, I I think that will flop too, because you'll alienate that core traditional Superman audience, just a different segment of it than you've alienated before. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I I will be, that's almost to me like a sociological experiment to see what the king of irreverent, the guy that got fired by Disney for, you know, I don't even even remember what the tweets were from back in the day now. What were they about? Do you guys remember? 
something involving kitty uh, porn or something you maybe you did have to do something along those lines yes but I, there's no question that when it comes to irreverent storytelling gun is masterful and now putting this figure mythological figure in his hands what was donner's other big movie before he did superman guys do you know oh it was horror movies. it was the omen yeah donner went from the omen to superman he went from the antichrist to the secular messiah so really he told the same story just the other side of the street he did the reverse of what we're doing. We're really telling the same story Jesus Revolution mm-hmm. does, just from the other side of the street, okay? Donner did that. This wasn't a stretch at all. He did, he did existential darkness, and then he covered existential light. This is un- Superman is unlike anything that Gunn has done. So I, I will absolutely be extremely fascinated to see what he does with the character, because it's out of his character to do a character like that justice. Breathe some life into your backyard with FastGrowingTrees.com this spring. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy, natural beauty, let FastGrowingTrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. I was looking forward to reading this live read today because I came home to complete winter desolation. And I just need to think that someday, someday I might see green again. FastGrowingTrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plants, shrubs, tree varieties for your unique climate and needs. Um, And sometimes it's hard to know which plants will do best, no problem. Because with FastGrowingTrees.com, you'll get customized recommendations based on your specific needs and climate. So no more waiting in long lines. We're going to have Zoe's graduation party at the house this year. That's where she wants to have it, in the backyard. So... Amy and I are like, we might have to spruce up this backyard a little bit. So Amy got on Fast Growing Trees last week, picked out a couple of things to join the over 1.5 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers right now. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve. You'll get 15% off your entire order at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Steve. Let us do a couple more real quick. All right. right. This one is from Jan Graham. What would 50-year-old Steve say to 20-year-old Steve if you could go back? That's a tough one because I I do think the mistakes we make, if we're willing to learn from them, help to frame and forge the person that we become later on. Okay? So... I'll I'll go with this one. Eat less carbs. Don't get don't become four hundred pounds. You won't believe how many years it'll take you to undo that damage the old fashioned way. I'll go with that. Rob Corzer says, now that you've produced one movie, what book, not authored by you, would you like to see adapted for the screen next? There is um very underrated book from a few years ago called Paul. Versus Muhammad, I think is what it is called. Or Paul and Muhammad, Paul versus Muhammad. And it, uh, I think it takes place at the Astrodome and via holographic technology. They've downloaded uh, into these algorithms all of the writings of St. Paul and Muhammad. And they've come up with um, renderings of what they likely would have looked like in the periods of time in mm-hmm. which they lived. And they just have the largest theological, the, the largest audience for a theological debate in human history watches this debate take place between Paul and Muhammad. 
And I mean, it's a great read. It's a great book. I think it'd make a hell of a movie, actually. Mm. If we, that is, if we all don't get killed and our throats slit for making it. Yes. Uh, final one, real quick. Katie asks, do you think Fox News will have you on once Nefarious is released? What's the over-under on that? Are we including Tucker in that? Possible. If you exclude Tucker, I'll, I'll speak at CPAC first. <laughs> all right, so that'll do it. Um, we're going to stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.